you were saying <laughs> what, what were you saying what were you saying <laughs> or, or I, I made a post recently right and it was about me quitting my job earlier this year and, right and the reason why was because of of a pretty hard-nosed return to office policy that that they had adopted post pandemic and one of the things that became really I guess reminded me of of some of the work that you and I had done in you know starting in 2010 with with Ratify and building a, a global distributed team and 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 just learning how to collaborate and do all of that stuff while not in person yeah really caring about the work that we did and then and then being in an office not because it's the most productive thing to do but being in the office just because that's the policy yeah and um i remember you you mentioned something about sort of compensation and, and tying it to compensation um i actually interviewed for um a fairly prominent tech company at one point uh i don't know years ago and um yeah, even just tying tying compensation to to locale to where you live, as if like living in you know a, a high rent district is somehow like like morally. You're listening to the Proof Partners podcast. For more information, check out proofpartners.io. I don't know. It it feels weird because like the idea is that you're you're compensated, you know based on your your role or your ability to bring value to the company and it's like this bringing this other thing in about where you live i i just it feels weird to me like i get it from a practical perspective it's like you know topeka kansas and brooklyn new york are not the same place but should i should a business owner care should i expect them to care i i don't know i don't know that whole that's that's a whole other thing well, one of the things that I realized kind of as I was making this post is that you and I, we were forced by necessity to figure out the remote thing for, you know, real practical reasons, right? Like I was, I lived in a completely different city. You know, there was no way I was going to commute to Philly. You weren't going to commute to New York. And second was just financial. We wanted to start a, a services company and we didn't want to start it with, you know, rent every month. And, and so... And we were also into technology and the tools were there. And so we just sort of did it. And the talent that we found happened to be overseas, largely in Europe and um, and the West Coast and, and wherever. And so it just sort of happened. Well, right? I, I was I, I, I was going to say world... a, a big part of that evolution was the fact that um, in a lot of ways from from both a um, from both a, a customer, like a finding customers perspective, but also like finding talent and um you know, growing our, our talent pool, um, that largely came out of my open source work. And so, Oh, that's right. And, yeah. and that's, and that was, so that was most of our, our, our recruiting. And, um, in that sense, it's like, we already kind of had a leg up because that's all you do. It's like, you know, open source people or people working on open source projects. It's like, you don't get together. Like maybe if you happen to live in the same city, sure. But that's not, that's not the default. Like most of the time, no. Um, right. So it's, it's like we already sort of had all the tools and the, and the mindsets there in place. And so it was just That's a matter right. of pivoting that to work on, you know, a day job versus like a, a side project. 
Right. Right. Which is its own thing. So, but to, to bring it all of, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering all of that, but to, to bring it back to the, to the point, and I think is that the rest of the world's trying to figure this out and they're trying to be, they're trying to be egalitarian about it. And, and so there's a number of things that are emerging as kind of popular thoughts right now. And one of them is, one of them is pegging the salary to a particular location yeah, or, or adjusting it based on your location. Another is um, return to office or, you know, you have to, you know, kind of knee jerk from the pandemic. Right. Which is what I was reacting to when I walked away from my job. But I think the 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 part of it that's that's really inescapable for me is the part of just honesty and um, you kind of the integrity of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, so you, there's, you you have I mean for return to office particularly it's like you you have equality of opportunity, equality of outcome and equality of misery. Equality of misery is return to office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, we dealt with it so we went you and I went from from Ratify where we had fairly good success. We should we should talk a little bit about some of the stuff we learned there, right? Um one of the things that we learned again it seems obvious now because it's so it's so common but back then it wasn't one of the things that we did was um at a pretty regular interval we got together in a, in a major city and we would use our client or uh, either getting a new client or you know a big client meeting to do that and we would gather as many people who are who were willing you know we did one in la we did one in new york so one of the things that we learned was that you know face-to-face -face collaboration is actually really super important for for certain things and you know arguing is one of them and so one of the things that we would do is when we when we had these get-togethers of everybody we would use that opportunity to to tackle some of the tougher questions for the organization yeah and and do it in person around a, a couch you know or around a meal versus you know talking faces where you can't really get people's mannerisms as well and you can't really we strangle anybody either yeah you can't jump across the couch and strangle somebody <laughs> and, and you know and the the other the other part of it was just whiteboarding and, and discovery yeah and, you know tackling really big technical challenges yeah we would always do that in person so i think i my my post was a little was a little um pointed and brief because it has to be right but you know in-person collaboration we learned how important that was but we also stayed true to our our principle of of caring about the work more so than the policy yeah and actually there's an interesting corollary to that i think where how many offices have you walked into whether it was you know your your job earlier this year or a client site or whatever where you have this building full of people who could be meeting in a conference room and in either half of them or all of them are sitting at their desks on Zoom or, you know, the equivalent. Like, oh, it's, te it's terrible. It's that, all the that, time. It's all the it's time. It's all the time. Yeah, that, that's exactly what people do. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the tools are so so ubiquitous and they're so easy. It's actually, even if you're in the same office and someone's sitting five feet away from you, it's easier to slack them and get into a, 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 a whatever, a slack chat yeah. or whatever so my, my point isn't that people are used to it which although that is true it's that people take it for granted so when you 
when you have when everybody's distributed and you only get together you know so often you don't take it for granted and you actually squeeze the most out of that time it's like think about think about parenting right and it's like we've talked about this all the free time you didn't realize you had before having kids and you're so much more productive so this this was my epiphany having written that post yeah epiphany was and i end the post with this but it's it's that by having a very strict on-prem, you know, return to office policy, yeah, you are by very nature of having that policy saying that it is totally okay to waste people's time. And that that seems like a leap, but let me just let me just go through it because sure. people are going to be like, "Well, you're you're full of it, right?" But it, no, it really does. So if if you have a return to office policy, what you're saying is that whether or not that is the most productive use of your time or the productive most most um, advantageous way for you to to bring value to the company, you have to be in a chair in the office, yeah, or else you'll pay, yeah, right, either by you know not getting your job or by losing you know salary or bonus or whatever. What you're saying is that that's more important than your time. Yeah, well, not even not even time, because you know, contribution isn't like this this linear or um, you know predictable thing where it's like you show up in an office or even you know just at a desk at home um, and you're you're just magically productive. Um, so it, it's really like this uh, a, attention is a resource that has to be managed and. The question is like, how are you managing it effectively so that your your people can do their best work? It is making everyone come to an office. Is that the best way to do that? Right. So I I think the argument that you're making there is is the Elon Musk argument. There's that there's there's people who have to go in and punch out widgets in order to make cars, and they have to do that, and they have to get up at six a.m. And, and go in and punch widgets for a set amount of time and then go home. Right. Got to make the donuts. You've got to make the donuts. If you don't show right. up, donuts don't get made. That's right. That's right. And this is a... I think you can have both of those thoughts at the same time without them contradicting each other. Oh, sure. Because it's, it's all based on the type of work. Like if you're working with heavy machinery, you know, you, you can't do that at home. You can't bring heavy machinery into your house. Because it's plugged into a factory, if, usually. If you're married. Yeah. If you're married. <laughs> I guess if you're not <laughs> married, you, you can bring anything home. You can bring the motorcycle and the heavy machinery. Yeah, you could live in an industrial warehouse. <laughs> I've thought about that. <laughs> if you that. have a partner, that does not work. But I am married. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so it's, there's, we should probably be clear that we're scoping the conversation to knowledge work that is you know most of the you know economy of people making software exactly but let let me frame that why would you dismiss and actively work against one of your competitive advantages so let's just take a company a company that for the sake of argument 50 percent of it are technologists who need to focus their time, effort, work, and are highly comfortable being distributed at this point in their career. And then you have 50% of the company that has to go in and make widgets, right? So let's say it's, you know, whatever, auto auto manufacturing has the people who make the cars and then they have the people who write the software. 
And one of the competitive advantages that you can have is that 50% of your workforce in this particular case can not have to commute, right? And so they get that extra time to, to work, be with their family, be happier, healthier, whatever else, with very little impact or maybe even an advantage to the company. Mm-hmm. But a blanket policy that doesn't take that into consideration essentially just takes and blows away that competitive advantage. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's it, And, you know, the principle is make decisions that are good for the work over decisions that are good for you, you know, within the bounds of, you know, you're not going to burn yourself out make, or work 80 hours. Make decisions or that are good for the work and good for the people who are doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's another aspect of this that, that I think is, is worth discussing, and that it almost is never 100% adopted. And so, oh sure, because there's always, always edge cases, right? Right. So, yeah. so you take like Elon Musk, like hard nose, right? You have to be in office. Everybody at Twitter has to be in office. Is okay, he in fine. office every day? Bingo. He's right. managing four or five different companies. He's probably there very, very little, actually. Right. And so, what you end up with is you end up managing the exceptions. Yeah. Which turns it into to go full circle and to defend my position. Then it turns into an integrity problem. If you're having a values discussion, then either you or you know leadership has has failed to communicate values in some way, or has failed to communicate the the hierarchy of those values. Like when when two values are in conflict, which one wins? Because everything in my mind really comes down to that. Because if you can communicate that effectively, then it, you almost don't need policies. Because people can internalize the values and understand how to act on them independently without hand-holding. So this, this topic is, is probably too far off for this conversation. But I did, I did have this with, with a recent uh, client where, where I was talking to the CEO. And there was this question of, you know, how do you, how, essentially, how do you put guardrails on around a team? You know, what, what they can and can't do. You know, and I think if you're if you're predisposed to centralized command and control for your organization, you're you're also predisposed to doing policies to make that happen. So, you know, you have to submit your budget three months in advance before you can get sign off for your, you know, P&L or whatever. And and so that's that's sort of where that conversation was was headed. And my attempt was to to bring it back to this whole whole values like when when the entire organization is is headed in the right direction after the right goal or mission then centralized command and control can actually become a very very thin layer never goes away because you always have that but it becomes very very thin and and you don't have the waste associated with micromanagement right and th- and that's a huge cost that people don't I don't think people think about for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Be- because so the there's this great book called Turn the Ship Around. Um it's by a um a navy captain. Oh, I, I know believe. what you're talking about. 
Yeah, um, yeah, retired retired submarine captain. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. he was captain of the submarine, and every it, the basic premise is like everybody's waiting on him to make a decision. It's like, hey, I need to do this thing, and, and so you know, either it's it's the executive officer or or the captain who's like you know basically the backlog you know they have these queues of of things that they have to constantly sign off on and they don't know they don't have the they're not the man on the ground they're not the man in the engine room maybe is a more apt uh figure of speech they right. they don't have the contextual information to make the best decision in the moment most of the time right but it's it's that you know 1% or 5% of the time where it's like okay we we actually don't want to you know, spin the thrusters harder or whatever, right? Be, because right. of this other thing that I do happen to know. But most of the time, it's like, hey, just tell me what you intend to do, um, and then go do it. And and unless I explicitly object, just just don't worry about it. Right. That's that's exactly it. Yeah. So the last the last piece is the is the KPIs around on you know in working um working remotely versus on site one of the things that we learned to to do is measure more intrinsic um to monitor intrinsic measures of productivity so this was around client value around around income around you know number of commits numbers of stories we we, we even got pretty detailed they're probably too detailed um, now that I think about it, but the point being is that one of the really healthy things about not being able to measure who's in a chair and for how long is that you're forced to measure other things. And then what ends up happening, or at least happened in my experience, is that you find that those other things are actually better measures of overall productivity, performance, and getting after your goal than the measurement of how many people are sitting in chairs. Yeah. And honestly, like if, if you're a manager of a team and, and you, you, you don't have like a massive team, you could tell who's engaged and who's not engaged. You don't, you know, you, your brain has a fantastic measurer built in that takes in all kinds of data points all the time. Um, and is, is subject to biases, but what isn't, um, but you can, you can tell who's, who's with you and who's, just kind of off floating right right and it, it it's kind of a spiral so you have this policy because you like command and con centralized command and control or that's just the way you're comfortable and so you have a policy of people having to be in in the office and so then you get to witness the folks who are not engaged and so then you're like wow i need to be more in involved and more stronger centralized command and control because these people are not engaged so then you have, you know, you start to put more incentives around being in office so that you can monitor more whether or not people are engaged. Yeah. And then you get more people who are less engaged because they're exhausted because they just had to commute into the office and they don't know why they're there. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's this definitely a relationship between fear and control. And um, that is that is a vicious cycle. So it's it's like how do you flip that to to a virtuous cycle? It's I well you you have to start trusting people. You have to start assuming the best of them because it's like you have one life, right? Do you want to waste it showing up to a place where you're not engaged? Like nobody nobody wants that. I mean, okay, right. there's probably a few people who just want to coast and collect a paycheck, right? But it, when you when you step way back, I I don't think most people want that. 
to to quote another book or paraphrase another book i i guess extreme ownership it's like when you're in leadership everything is your fault everything wrong is your fault so it's like okay what do i need to do why are why are my people not engaged you know maybe just go talk to them that's another interesting thing now that i'm thinking about it it's like i wonder if all these policies are are actually just a way to keep people at arm's length so you don't have to confront them directly because that's uncomfortable that's interesting like like yeah. rather than just going yep. to somebody you know whether to their desk or you yep. know sending them a meeting invite and just right. be like dude or it's, right it's the it's what the was sign that about? on the wall that says you know no talking on your cell phone when you're at the counter you don't actually have to confront somebody you can just point to the sign point to and the be sign. like super passive aggressive yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah there's definitely a bit of that yeah there's a bit of that it makes managing it makes it makes really bad managers bad worse more bad badder yeah. badder managers yeah it makes bad managers worse i like badder badder badder's the, a good or word. the baddest they're the baddest manager <laughs> bringing it back to like the 80s <laughs> we gotta go we gotta all right go. thank you